All right. Oh, boy, God is good. Oh, what a beautiful day. Thank you, Lord. Is spring finally come? Oh, I hope so. Hope so. We should have just had church outside today. <laughs> we need to think about that. Oh, it's so beautiful. So in two, two Sundays from now is uh, Mother's Day, and we like to do our Mother's Day, Father's Day, but especially Mother's Day. It's a little extra special because it is a time where families can get together. We want you to invite your your, your moms, grandmoms, your great aunts, your aunts, your neighbors, the ladies in your neighborhood, they don't have a church home, you know, invite them and come on out. We're going to have a, a very uh, interesting speaker, Stephanie Dillon, who is director of Awake Ministries, uh, really leading a ministry that is key in our community. Uh, and she is going to be our speaker ministering. You know, we want a message that's going to especially minister to ladies of all ages. And so looking forward to that. Uh, she's a, um, you know, a, a military veteran herself. Her husband is uh, in Kuwait right now serving in the Army. And her daughter's also serving, I believe, in the Navy overseas right now. So she's, she's got husband and daughter uh, serving in, in active duty right now. So she's, she's got a perspective that, that uh, you know, is quite unique and looking forward to her time. Uh, with us, we will have a photo booth. We'll have the flowers that you guys love each year. We've got that, so you know, br- bring those relatives out. Um, so, the rite of passage is for a local church setting is a uh, you know kind of difficult thing to describe uh, because it's just not done very often uh, in in group settings uh, in today's world. And uh, so we have several teaching sessions first, uh, and this is the first teaching session. And, and then we'll have another one, shorter one, in the uh, fellowship hall today, along with that good food. And so after you kind of get your first plate of food, I'll go ahead and start the session and keep eating, get your desserts, just keep eating. And, um, and yeah, I know, you know, don't worry about it. I know you can listen to me and eat at the same time, right? And, uh, and then Wednesday night will be a session for parents and uh, students. We'll actually um, meet together in the Fellowship Hall. Giovanni's Pizza, I believe it's the best in town. Can't wait. And, uh, uh, and, and then we'll actually split off and have the students separated out, even with um, uh, young men and young women for a session. So we'll kind of split up in different groups on Wednesday night. And then a week from this morning, during the service, will be a rite of passage ceremony. And I don't want to explain it all because I don't want to give it away to those students who haven't, you know, seen it before or been a part of it. And, but it includes the whole family. I mean, we're not even having the River Kids services. River Kids will be in here as well. And I'll have, a, after a short time of worship, a little teaching to set it up, and then we'll uh, start getting the ceremony time ready to go. And, um, and so uh, without, you know, telling you, we'll tell you all the details next Sunday, okay? But you can't experience that online, okay? And, and, and so I want to get you, everybody in here uh, next Sunday because it's a bonding time for us as a spiritual family as we empower and encourage our young people. And so it's really a spiritual family event that, uh, again, is going to bond us together. So um, I want to put that emphasis on that. Uh, Chuck Stecker is, is really the innovator of 
taking rites of passage, which again, is, I'll get into it a little bit later, uh, kind of a lost uh, family uh, community tradition in, in the world, in, in, in societies, and he's bringing it back. Others have been teaching it for families, and he's really the only one I've ever met and who has resources to help you do it as a Christian community. So it's just, just bless him. But I, I really, I, I've struggled with the name of the seminar piece, which is Men of Honor, Honor, Women of Virtue. It's so long, it's hard to remember, so I'm changing the name of the seminar. It's Men and Women of Honor, okay? Honor is a great word for everybody, and that's what it is. So we have uh, Men and Women of Honor. Let's give them, our young men and women a hand right now. Already. There's a lot of good resources out there for men and women. Uh, one that was written in the 80s took the typical man's book of do this and do that to be a better husband and a better father. Uh, oftentimes the women's books would do the same. And Gordon Dalby did a book called Healing the Masculine Soul. And he tells a story in there early on in the book. Um, And and in this book, he goes deeper in the the heart of a man. But he said this, this story that he heard impacted him deeply. As a modern man, he was well educated uh, with several degrees, but went on a Peace Corps uh, when he was young in his early 20s to Nigeria and teaching math, and he said that I had one of my students just talking, chit-chatting, you know, after class, and uh, this, this young man, student, said, um, so how in America is a boy called, by, called out by the men? And Gordon Dalby says, like, what, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, what are you, what are you saying? He said, well, how... Uh, did they come for you when you, were, when you reached the proper age to come out from your mother's house? And Gordon was just like, I, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, we, uh, the housing situation, you know, we have houses, you have huts or something. He said, I don't really know. And he just dismissed the conversation, changed the subject, didn't go on. Later, he, he thought, let me ask a teacher, a Nigerian teacher who grew up in that country, um, in that community and culture. Said, what was he trying to ask me? What's he talking about? And so then this, this teacher started telling him the story. Well, around 11 or 12 years old, he said, my father and a group of elders from the village and other men came at night to my house. And they came out and they had drums going. Boom, 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 boom. And uh, one of the men was designated as the spirit of man. And that, he wore a mask, and that mask means, in their language, spirit. And this dancer uh, started dancing around to the front door of, of where I lived there with my mom, and he said, come out, come out! And then the drums kept beating, the bu- drums kept beating. And then uh, the men got louder and shouting, and they said, come out, son of our people, come out! And... The, the mom opened, cracked open the door and kept the boy behind her, was nervous and, and, and shut the door again. And so then the drums got louder and the men got louder. Come out! Son of our people, come out! And they waited for that young man to make a choice 
to come out of that house, to leave the comforts of being under this tender, loving, sensitive care of mom and out to an unknown adventure of manhood. And so sure enough, it was a few moments later, he got behind his mom and went out the front door and she uh, cries out in mourning. And But the men shout, victory shouts, come out, son of our people, come join us. And he goes into a group of other young men that have been called out and they go to another house. And then they go into the woods for two weeks and they start training skills of how to hunt and how to uh, build things and build your own uh, hut and home and, and all these other things. And they came back and they actually give him a gun when he's back. He gets a gun, a hoe, and a piece of property to begin actually leading his own and, uh, uh, you know, provision for his life and his future family. At the time, at his young 20s, he kind of put it off to the side. It was later in his mid-40s when he's struggling, what is manhood and where is my heart as man? What is manhood? He looked back to that and said, modern man is missing something. We don't know how to answer that question. When did the men call you into their community as men? When did the change happen? I've seen on National Geographic, maybe you as well, there are uh, cultures still in Africa that you have to go kill a lion as, you know, a teenage young man, and then that brings you into the, into the fold, you know, of, of manhood. I'm glad we don't have any lions around Shelbyville. But this is actually known throughout centuries and centuries in cultures and peoples all around the world. And modern Western culture has missed this and therefore, unfortunately, has caused a period of, of confusion and, and, uh, and aimlessness in our young people. In Jewish cultures, there's the bar mitzvah uh, for the 13-year-old uh, boys to step into adulthood. And they develop later the bat mitzvah, mitzvah for the young ladies. And that is a son or daughter of the law. And what was happening is as uh, this was after Christ when these things developed, uh, earliest 6th century and then later and kind of kept developing. But what was happening is they needed to make a decision when can, you know, a boy be part of the group of men who's going to lead the worship service because you were required to have ten men for worship gathering. So how do we count? And if we're a small community, uh, when can we start counting somebody? Because if you don't have ten, you can't have a worship service. And they said, well, if you're 13, you have the capability and ability to memorize, learn, and study the Hebrew prayers and scriptures required to be part of the praying leadership and uh, reciting the scriptures during the worship service. So they, that's how they started that, and that's why they started. It's a big party today. We hadn't really known much of this personally, and we moved uh, from uh, uh, Kentucky to Philadelphia around the Philadelphia area, where there are a lot of Jewish people in our county, right outside the city limits of Philadelphia. And so our boys uh, came in there 
Uh, their first grade was seventh grade at the public school. First time they'd been in public school, they had been in homeschooling, and they met Jewish friends. So we had to buy them a nice blazer because they were going to bar mitzvahs that year, to their buddies' bar mitzvahs, getting our sharp in these big parties that they would go to. In uh, Hispanic cultures, you may have heard of quinceanera, and that's at age 15. They have a big celebration and and, and the young lady gets this big, you know, big dress, and she has almost like a wedding party, and the girls dress up with her, and, and they even have some boys kind of like a, uh, a courtyard, like almost like a wedding type thing, and they're celebrating her transition from girlhood to womanhood and honoring her beauty. So I'm going to ask you, when did you know that you were no longer a child, would be cons- and when will you be considered a young adult? So what makes this complicated is kind of what happened in our world with the Industrial Revolution. Because it was fairly simple to grow up in an agrarian farming setting uh, throughout the world, and, and you were needed, the older you got and stronger you got and more capable you got, you were needed on the farm. And so you got into learning skills at an earlier age I know in Amish land, we live in Pennsylvania, Lancaster County, and they have school that goes up to 8th grade, and the boys start their trades, even in farming or carpentry, after 8th grade. And, and the ladies, they often go into schooling longer than that. And so one night, our, we lived uh, among Amish farms and Mennonite farms, and the, the farmer, two, down, two, two doors down, uh, he was, I could see it, it was late at night, it was a cold, windy night, he was down there with the lights on, and uh, yes, they do have tractors, they have to have certain rules where he can only use the tractors, not in the field, but around the barns, and he had lights on, I went, got my coveralls, went down there, and to help him out, there was, uh, uh, had been a, a, a water pipe bust down there, and there was mud, and this, his tractor was stuck, and, and he was borrowing another tractor, and I went in there and the other tractor to help out, and it was this 10-year-old boy driving the other tractor. And it was so late, he said, well, why don't you go to bed, son, and, you know, neighbor Stephen will help. We sell our young people short and say they're too young. They can't this, they can't that. No, they can, folks, they can. So anyway, with the Industrial Revolution in the 17, 1800s, that brought people out of the country into the city and then the corporate world began to expand and businesses and all the different type stores and businesses in the city life. And so you needed more training and education to get in those type of, uh, in that type of uh, economy. And so the economy was changing. It wasn't just an agrarian. So you needed more education. You need more training. And so now we, it's gone so far that you sometimes need not only a four years of college, you need master's degree to get a, a real job, a decent job. And unfortunately now the trades are hurting like never before. I talked to uh, business owners in construction and other trade jobs, and they're saying, I can't get work, and all I've got is me and this other old guy, and we can hardly, you know, lift this and that, and I'm going to retire soon. I don't know who's going to do the work, folks. And these are good skills that take, a lot, uh, you know, careful apprenticeship, and they pay well, and there's a whole segment, and I'm going off tangent a little bit, just a little, you know. <laughs> 
And on that tangent still, college is too expensive, it's too long, they should back all that back up and start them younger, and those levels, and get them out early and get the training, they're more capable than we let them, uh, let them feel like they are. This is a real thing. It's just a, a scripture that Paul puts in the middle of 1 Corinthians 13. He's really talking about the return of Christ, but he says this in 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, verse 11. He said, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. There is a change that happens. There is a transition. And it's, and it's we want our young people to make a choice. I want to put childish things away. I want to step into my adulthood. So in the 1900s, uh, there was, we had to capture what was happening among young people, and so psychologists brought about this new term called adolescence. And it's a term that's used, it's not necessarily a bad term or something, but this is how they described it. That period beginning with the onset of puberty until adulthood, that is marked by confusion and rebellion. And then they would rarely define adulthood, when it happens, how it happens, how long is this phase. And unfortunately, like what we're finding, uh, young people's bodies are changing between anywhere from 10, 11 to 14 or so years old. And, but they can't really do adult things till you at least graduate from high school, maybe even trade school. And you're saying, no, you can't, you're not old in this for, what, 10, 12 years? What kind of bad habits and, and, uh, uh, do you develop what kind of good habits you don't develop is you're just doing minimal of your capabilities and are viewed as too young for this and for that. I want us to look at some terms here uh, and, and not, not get them mixed up. And they do work well together and that is adulthood. But then there's also maturity. And sometimes we use them the same, we kind of throw them together and all that, but they're actually very unique and different even though they work together. And uh, Chuck Stecker, he came up with, you know, I'm going to share his, uh, uh, his, his definition of adulthood. I like it. And, you know, he's a doctorate and he's done his thesis on this and he wrote the book on this and, and is well-respected around even... I would be on the United States on this, and, and I was expecting something really deep, something complex, something you'd really have to think about. Let me tell you, this is, his definition is as simple as it gets. It's just common sense. It's just logic. And he says that the definition of adulthood is when God defines the beginning of adulthood, when he changes our bodies and gives us the capability, capability to recreate life. And when you look at it more carefully, it's really not our just our bodies that change. Our minds change because our brains change. And the different hormones and things that are chemicals that are going through our bodies change our minds and our abilities for abstract thinking and reasoning and planning. See, when Paul said, I, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became... 
became a man, I put childish ways. See, there's a way that now, as a young man or woman, they've changed in bodies and mind, and they can think differently. They have a reasoning process that they can follow now. The whole world is different to them. And psychologists say that there's two seasons of your life that you change the most. The first three years of life, from zero to three. And then those three years around middle school, around sixth, you know, sixth to ninth grade, somewhere in there, it's different for everybody. And there is more that happens to your uh, body, soul, and mind in those three years than any other time in life. So, Dr. Joy, Dr. Donald Joy was one of my favorite, probably was my favorite professor at Asbury Seminary. He wrote 17 books, and he, they were all about family, discipleship development, um, uh, human growth and development, and, and how you do uh, ministry in the family. And he even wrote a book, a couple books actually, on, uh, for his grandchildren. And he wrote a book for uh, his first granddaughter, and as she got in, the, in teen years, and, um, and it, was, uh, it was entitled... Um, do I have it written down here? I thought I did. Here we go. Celebrating the new woman in our family. And there were letters to her that ended up being published. And then when his grand, oldest grandson came around, he did one for him. Same thing, celebrating the new young man in our family. And one thing he said was, is that, that uh, in another one of his books, that that the invention of an adolescence in our culture is crippling most of our young before they embrace the third decade of their life. And you know, adolescence, that's a term that we, many people use uh, you know, for different reasons, and we uh, uh, you know, try not as, as church leadership to use that. We've actually tried to change our terminology uh, in general. For example, you'll, you'll probably hear some of us making announcements and we'll kind of struggle with the term and we're trying to get used to it because we don't want to say our kids and refer to our, you know, 6th through 12th graders in the student ministry because that, that just doesn't lift them up. We don't want to say children like, you know, those little children in the youth group, you know. We, don't, we try not to get out of that habit. Um, even the term youth, we found out, uh, when you have some um, older teens, they, they, they uh, are, are, don't feel when you say youth that you're talking about them per se, or teenager. Teenager, just what happened with that term is it just became a negative term. Those teenagers. Always driving so fast. Every single one of them. Those teenagers, they're so noisy. And it just got a negative connotation. But hey, if you're 13 or 15, you, you're in your teens, right? You're a teenager. But we're just trying to get it out of our vocabulary so it doesn't associate with oh, those teenagers. And so we use the word student, and uh, that can refer to any age, right? And we like young people, young adult, young man, young woman. And those are terms that we are using and changing here. I mean, I just want to tell you, you know, I don't know if you've spent much time with, you know, the youth group and they have games sometimes, and try tackling Mark Safi. 
that guy has the biggest shoulders and strongest legs, and I thought I was tough, and trying to take him down is like trying to take down a rhinoceros. You don't call him a youth. Hey, youth. I want to tell you, David Bates can grow a better beard than four or five of us men put together. You're going to call him a youth? You're going to call him a kid? Call him a child? Let me tell you, these are young men. So there's this, so let's talk about, so we're seeing that, that when you take that definition of adulthood, that happens quickly, that, that's not a 10 or 12 year, but maturity is a long process, isn't it? And we all are maturing no matter how old you are, and so it's a lifelong process. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse, verse 14. In this passage, uh, the author Paul is actually talking about milk in a, in a metaphorical, uh, symbolic ways that milk is for babies, right? And little ones. And he's saying, some of you still need just milk, spiritual food, milk. But you're, if you're mature, you take solid food. And this is what he says. He says, but solid food, verse 14 of Hebrews 5 it's for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And so, if you look at this definition, it does take some experience, some practice to grow in maturity. If you look at the Scripture, you say, yeah, that you actually do what you say you're going to do. That you're a person of your word. You have integrity like that. That your actions speak louder than words. And as Jesus taught often, that... You judge them by their fruits, right? By their life and their actions, not just what they say. And that's, that's one of the signs of a mature person. It's so frustrating when someone could be 30, 35, and they say something, and they promise you, you say you're going to do it, and they don't do it. It's a sign of a lack of maturity in that area. So a definition of maturity, if we're working with that, is spiritual maturity is the ability to discern good and evil and the courage to act on that good, not just to know it here and understand, but actually live it out, act on it. I want to go to um, a story of Jesus at 12 years old. Why? Because his ministry hadn't started yet. We really only get one snapshot of his growing up years, and we get it at age 12. That's significant to me, folks. Other than that, we don't have any other stories in scriptures about his maturing or anything like this, but we do get it at 12. And I think it's because it's an example of how he stepped into adulthood. And then what happens is, because you have changed body, mind, soul, and spirit, you have the ability to mature faster than you ever have your whole life. And so there's no limitations, no, no, uh, no, uh, uh, no, no reason just to go for it and to be uh, as, as mature, strong in character as you can get. So this is an honor, a, a man of honor, Jesus at 12 years old. And it's in Luke chapter 2. And I'm kind of going to tell the story uh, first before we get to a few scriptures and it's, you know, they, they lived in Nazareth, his family. They would do this travel down to Jerusalem several times a year for the special feast. This was the Passover feast. And Jesus 
and, and they're there for several days. And Passover this year just ended just the other day. It lasts about eight days or so. So they might have been there a week in Jerusalem. And, and then they get in, in the caravan back. It says that, that um, the parents just assumed he was with the... So, you know, families all from Nazarene and all, they probably all gathered together, and they would go in, in a big group. Could have been over 50 people or more. And so they all left, and it was a day in traveling. They realized that, that Jesus wasn't with them, and so the parents go, oh, my God, we can't find him. And so they, they rushed back to Jerusalem. That might have taken another day. And it took, it says, three days searching around Jerusalem, big city. So he might have been separated with them for five days. And they were astonished because they found him among the other teachers and rabbis, and they said they were amazed at his questions, and they, they were amazed at his knowledge and understanding and his answers. So, and in Jewish culture, when you got into a good you know, discussion, debate, it was, it was using questions. So there he was. He, they were amazed that at his age, he was able to hang with the adults and those other teachers. And this is... Uh, a powerful verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 49. And the parents said, you know, why did... We put a little guilt trip on him. Mary was like, why did you treat us this way, son? We haven't seen you for maybe five days. He, and he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? That's the NIV. Other translations say father's house. But I, I think uh, in, in the, some of the research I've done, that father's business is even better. But either way... It's, hey, I have, I'm under authority, and I have a purpose. Don't, are you surprised that I've got a purpose? I've got an adventure to live. I've got a, a calling here. And, and so this, this was my place. And, and they really didn't know how to, to process that. They didn't understand it. Now look at verse 51 and 52. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And so what we have here is that though he was really stepping into an ability and a capability of, of really being on that adult level because he was a young man now, but he chooses to stay in subjection to his parents. That's a really big little phrase right there because that says that, hey, mom and dad, you saw me. I can hang with adults. So just, you know, let me do my own thing now. <laughs> I've arrived. I'm there. Maturity happens the most under authority. In fact, being under authority is a fact of life. It is everywhere. It is at school, isn't it? It is on Sports teams, basketball teams, baseball, field hockey. So there's authority. You have coaches. You have captains. In, at work, every job has authority. And every job you have, you'll have authority. And uh, if you're a business owner, that's great. And, uh, and so hopefully you have a team to help give you some accountability. But other than that, you have authority over you. In every situa uh, situation in church, there's authority. We have a board. That's our final authority here at Living Waters Church. And so that is the place that maturity grows. You know where we find, and you say, yeah, well, I, I went to the military and I grew up a lot. 
They made me a man. And what are they, one of the keys for that experience? First day, first what, minute? You guys tell me who've been in the military. You learn authority. You don't get to have a choice of what your hair looks like, what you're going to wear, what you're going to do for the next uh, how many weeks you're in boot camp. You're under authority all day long. And you can't be trained to be a great soldier unless you're under authority. You think, hey, I'm a man, I'm strong now, I don't need authority. No, to be an effective soldier and warrior in, in a military or in life and for the kingdom of God is that you're under authority. And there's a whole lot of, whole lot of maturing that happens in that boot camp. This Wednesday night, I want to dig into some things a little more deeply. Uh, one is a term called individuation versus independence. Yes, young people of all centuries, since even in Jesus' story here, there is this desire to grow up and find your gifts and your strengths and your identity to get in that flow and it's, it's, in a, it's in a search for identity, and it's a, it's a search for um, who you are. And that can be called individuation, but independence is saying, I don't need you, mom and dad, I don't need you, I don't need anybody. I'm a, that's not good habit to get into at any phase of life. Because we're better together and we need each other. So I want to talk some more, like I said, probably on Wednesday night, about the release in our parenting phases and releasing our young people into the phase that they're in at that time. There is an unusual uh, set of ages in the Bible that I, that I want to refer to right now and put an image in your mind here. That we have this... this um, uh, and, and this particular age isn't, isn't in the Bible per se, but we say this, there's an age of accountability, it seems, in the Bible. Where that young person, before God, is being held accountable to God for their attitudes and their actions. And, and it's hard to pinpoint that. We have this story of Jesus. And then in Moses, we have a couple things that he did when he began to, uh, God's people and he or, got it set up. He said, 20-year-olds can be drafted in the military, and they did a census and counted all the, the men, 20 years old or older. And uh, then, if you remember, God steps in the picture here because when uh, the soldiers, those leaders, got afraid when they spied out the land and they said, oh, we can't, they are giants there. And they chose not to go uh, into the promised land because of fear, they were judged, were they not? And they were judged from 20 years old and older ended up wandering in the desert 40 years and all died out. So that tells me, perhaps in God's eyes, there is this accountability for 20-year-olds and older that that's some kind of final release. They have full accountability before God for all their actions. So even though in our family we did a rites of passage when they were in the uh, junior high years as a family, uh, I sat my boys down when they had turned 20, and I said, hey, uh, you're... You're 20 now, and I release you from my parenting authority, from our parenting parental authority. We're here as your counselors. If you need us and want us, we're glad to give input. We want to support you all we can, but you're accountable before God for your decisions, and we're available. Well, we've had those above 20 live in our house. 
how do you handle that? I've got, I figured it out. I've got a plan. Because I've had those that are older than 20 living my, I've got a 24-year-old living in my basement right now temporarily. <laughs> and so what it is, is you've got landlord authority. <laughs> yeah. I own that house and property. And it doesn't matter if you're, uh, have carry my name, if you're some other young man or woman who has an able body, and then you're going to help out cleaning the kitchen, either cooking or cleaning, you're helping. In this yard, if you step in that any blade of grass, and you get to help cut it <laughs> in the spring and summer. Because that's, that's called landlord authority. I own, I own that bedroom. You can't do anything you want to in there. When, my, when, when mom says it's time to clean it, you obey her, not because she's your mom, but because she's the landlord. And she said, clean it this weekend. And they know that up front. And that helps a little bit. All right. How about that for a little tangent? Okay. So this is what I'm trying to tell you. That I do think there is this something about the age of accountability. Yes, we need to learn, and we'll talk about it more later, like I said, uh, uh, Wednesday night. But the way we release our young people into their life during the teen years, let's put up that first graph. They're... Freedoms grow because they're earning trust. And we'll talk about that. You know, you don't earn love. You love your children. But in every situation like work, you have to earn trust from your boss. So that's just a fact of life. And so you get more freedoms as you earn trust. You get more freedoms. And they have more accountability the the older they get until at 20, they're fully accountable to God. So what about the parents? You have a parental authority. What, What happens to us? So it's, it's on this decline, and it somehow switches before God around this age of accountability, maybe 12 to 14 years, different everybody, where now God is saying, hey, I know where your motivations are. You can't hide them from me. You might can hide them from mom and dad all day long, and, you know, youth pastor and church this person or whoever. And you can impress all day long, but hey, it's you and me now. And so there's no hiding from God. And He is calling and saying, come to me. Come to the Father's love. Come to me. And, and let's put some childish things away. Hey, keep your childlike faith. That's good. This simple faith where we trust the Father and we sit on His lap. But put those childish thinking and those immature things away. And it's between you and Him primarily. Still under, like Jesus, was still under authority and was released later on. It looks like Jesus may have stayed subject to His mom's authority until He was 30. I mean, that whole experience with Him and His mom at, at the first wedding where He did a miracle was, was quite amazing. The way He honored His mom. And so, what I'm trying to illustrate to you today is that this is a critical time in a young person's life. And what we want to jump in to do is do what the Lord said today with that guy on sitting on the back of his chair as the bikes went up. We want to be the hand clappers. We want to put a spirit of encouragement and hope on a, on a great future for our young people. We don't want the world's ways and all the statistics and get them down. Let me tell you, you have God's blessing of prosperity on you in every area of your life. This is an exciting time in your life. And we want to encourage you. We want to support you and walk you in it. But we know your heart 
Even if we can't see your heart, God sees your heart. You, and, and with Him, you are more and more accountable to Him all the time. So there is these terms that Chuck Stecker has developed to help distinguish, and I'm glad he has, is that it's the vision of Living Waters Church to be an intergenerational church, not necessarily just a multi-generational church. Well, isn't that the same thing? Go ahead and put that up on the screen for me. Because a multi-generational church will have a nursery, will have a children's ministry, will have a student ministry, and maybe a young adult, maybe college age, maybe you know, adult Bible studies and so forth. And what has happened is those are silos and they don't connect. And so young people can graduate out of high school and feel like, well, my church is gone because I was, had a great youth group experience. And what many pastors are finding and are writing about, we know how to raise good kids in church, but not necessarily raise mature young adults in ch- for church. And the stats are horrible when you see how many young people leave the church. It's, it, you know, most of the, many of the surveys say 70% up to 90-some percent leave the church after high school. And so we want to break down those silos. We want to say we have interlinking. We are connected with the different generations. We do have specific needs in each generation. So we have those ministries. And at the same time, we connect those ministries as well. And that's called an intergenerational church. I have a couple more scriptures I want to refer to and, and, uh, and for our young people before we break for um, um, the fellowship hall. But I want to go take us back a few months to a ministry we did back in October. And I want to offer that ministry here Again today, it's called the Father's Blessing. And it's something where God the Father speaks an encouraging and release blessings over us. Sometimes we may have felt this from our earthly father. Most times not. Sometimes we may get it from other spiritual fathers uh, in our growth in life, but sometimes not. I was uh, Chuck Stecker you know, isn't the first one to do, talk about Father's blessings. In fact, for me, it was Doc Shell. And I was on the back row, and he was here in the 90s, and he was talking about this important uh, ministry that he's seeing God bless and release. And I'm thinking, man, what is it? What is it? And, and he said, today we're going to be ministering the Father's blessing. And I was like, what? And what he shared would just opened up my heart. I said, yes, this confirms so many things. The power of the Father's blessing. The Heavenly Father often using either earthly or uh, uh, natural, uh, spiritual fathers. And, there's, and, and you see it all in Scripture how you have the God of Abraham, Isaac, of Jake, and Jacob. The God of the generations. The God who puts, as these patriarchs would speak over their children, blessings, to release blessings over them. You see it with Jesus. He blessed the little children when He would get close to them. And when He ascended to heaven, He was blessing the disciples as He was ascending. The last thing He did was blessing people. And so there's this power of blessing. And, and I, uh, Chuck Stecker, I met him back in 
uh, early 2000s, and we did the rite of passage uh, events. And, and on the Father's blessing service, a man who was in his mid-70s, was an inventor, had developed his own uh, business through this invention. invention. He uh, was into Russia mission, missions, had, had helped many small groups with curriculum that he would send online, and he would visit Russia mission. Just one of the most respectful men you'd find in the community. He came down that morning, he said, you know, I live and sleep in the bedroom I was born in. But I don't, I don't ever remember receiving a father's blessing. And I want one today. And so this whole ministry of Father's Blessing is important to receive for men and women and moms and dads. It doesn't matter how old you are. And so in October, I did this teaching, and we did it. And we had a handful of chairs down here with spiritual fathers and couples uh, down here blessing people. After the service... In this room, it's got a little number over the door, number 12. There'll be uh, a couple men in there willing to do that this morning if you weren't here that day. And you want that because you want to be sure there's, that that's flowing from you through you to your children and grandchildren and those that you're in connection with. So that's available to you this morning. You know, Jesus had, it, it looks like two of these kind of powerful blessing moments himself when Jesus started his ministry he was uh, getting baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River and suddenly people heard this voice as a dove came on him and said this is my son who I am well pleased whom I love and in him I am well pleased I love my son my daughter I'm proud of them and he belongs and she belongs to me. This happened again when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration near, near later, much later in his ministry. And his three buddies were with him and they were freaking out seeing him turn into this glowing light with uh, Moses and Elijah. And this voice cries out, it speaks out again. Jesus must have needed those moments. This is my son whom I love in him I'm well pleased and so, again, we offer that to you, and, and, um, and you can go to this room and, and have that available to you. I've had a few sessions uh, in the fall with the, the students. We would get lunch, and, um, and I would do a little teaching, and it was entitled, You Are Strong. And so, for you young people, you've heard this before, it's out of... 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. And it says this. I write to you, young men and women, because you are strong. The Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This stage of life of being a young man or adult is a time of having victories over the enemy. Winning those young adult battles. They're not little kid battles. Let me tell you, if our young people are tempted with sex, drugs, and uh, uh, gender confusion, and you name the list, those aren't kiddie temptations, are they? And so we want to build them up. We want to raise them up and say, yes, you can have victory over the evil one and the spirit of confusion in these 
young adult years, you are strong. But I also want to say to you, and I'd like to read a scripture over the young people, so if you're 6th through 12th grade, if you would just stand. All 6th through 12th graders, I just want you to stand. I'm going to read a scripture over you. See, God is the God of generations, and He has a specific call and destiny on this generation. There is a uniqueness about you that God has put you in this to live in this day and time. There are things that God wants to use you to teach us. There are strengths in your life that we need. And so we want to say, hey, we believe in what God is doing in you and the future is good. And God has chosen you, and I'm going to read First Timothy, uh, excuse me, First Peter, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a ro- royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. So the darkness of this world and the confusion of this world and the, uh, uh, all that's going on there, you can walk in his marvelous light and see with clarity. You can uh, live like royalty. You can be holy. You're a special people. You're chosen for such a time as this. We need to be careful, folks. I've said it because it, it, there's things happening in our country, and our culture. And you, oh, man, I just feel so bad for the teenagers and what they're having to grow up with. And that's true. I mean, our empathy is hard. But let's not discourage them, folks. Because God chose them for times of this to be victorious over the evil one. So let our compassion be there, but let's be encouraging at the same time. Young people, we see you chosen by God and we we receive you as a vital part of our church family. We need you. Let's give them a big hand, that hand clap of those cyclists. You may be seated. Thank you so much. I'm going to say a blessing on the food and those who want to stay for some more worship and I'm going to ask the altar ministry teams go ahead and come up right here I think it's very accurate to say I, I think uh, Dolores said it this morning when releasing the children uh, out to the river kids how you know they're our future leaders and it's true our young people our young adults here are our future leaders but I want to tell you they're more than that they are ready to step into adulthood and grow in their maturity at a rate that the world does not expect to be servant leaders among us now. And so when you're talking about young adults, let's get the practice and habit of it. If you're going to say there are future leaders, but add on there too. And there are current leaders, influencers right now. Thank you so much for letting me dig into this uh, as we get in, you know, get in the fellowship hall and I'll grab the microphone and uh, we have some child care for the younger children uh, available so they can kind of eat quickly and we'll be dismissed. But um, um, I want to get into 
uh, what is the, the definition or how do you describe manhood? How do you describe womanhood? That's a good question. And I'll tell a little about my journey on that and how it helped me even as a youth pastor and as a man myself. And we'll get into that uh, to a degree here in a little while. Why don't we stand right now as they're going to lead us in another song of worship. Lord Jesus, thank you that your Holy Spirit is working and drawing us to you. And if someone is in the room or online who doesn't have a relationship with you, that you are feel a far away for whatever reason, or you know you're far away. Well, the Holy Spirit is drawing you today to either re-give and rededicate your heart and life to Him or to come to Him for the first time and say, I submit to you as you to be the authority of my life. Let's just say a prayer out loud, that salvation prayer out loud, and perhaps someone in here would say it for the first time or online. Please repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I don't want to be alone. I want to be with you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave to defeat death. So I want to give you my heart and life. I do it right now. Come into my heart by your Spirit. Forgive me of all of my sins and all the sins committed against me. Excuse, excuse me, let me say that a little bit. Cleanse me from the sins committed against me. I'm clean because of you. I'm new and I'm alive because of you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are maturing all of us. And we just want to come alongside our young men and women and we want to bless them in this transition into adulthood that they're in. And we want to bless it. We want to encourage it, Lord God. We want to be a hand clap to them and be a part of your empowerment in their lives. What good futures they have. What great years during the teen years they have. And so we thank you, Lord God, that you're making us a spiritual family that doesn't let our young, that generation go and slip away uh, and drift away like so many do around us, Lord. But they're going to shine. They're going to fulfill their callings and their giftings. And it's going to be tremendous. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Bless us now with more of your grace this week. Bless our food as we go over to the fellowship hall. Lord, bless those that are serving and have cooked and, and get it together. Lord, we ask, oh God, that our time together, you would be there by your Spirit. Your Holy Spirit would be the teacher, way beyond me being the teacher. But your Holy Spirit would be the teacher. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Feel free to stay for a little more worship. Feel free to head on over. Blessed, so they know uh, they don't need to wait on anybody. And 
Uh, we have, again, in room number 12, if you would like to receive a Father's blessing prayer, then you go over there. If you didn't bring anything, it's okay. We've got enough. We are always aware of that. And, 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 and so please stay, even if you weren't planning on it. Uh, stay anyway. Uh, we want as many in the spiritual family to be there as possible. Thank you. The atmosphere is changing now.